0: control of how much you can talk way it's always can be dicey hey I want to start even before I get into anything here um, I want to start with a uh, a thank you and a praise um, and and many of you probably don't know this story so I'm just going to share it anyway because I think it's awesome what God does so uh, what what day what day was a real Friday Friday morning was it Friday morning? Friday morning. Remember how foggy it was Friday morning? And uh, so <coughs> my cousin and her husband just moved to Chawila, just bought a house for my sister in Chawila, and uh, he works in Deer Park. His name is Sam, and uh, he works at, um, I can't remember, the Big Fab Shop. What's a Big Fab Shop in Spokane? Or in Deer Park, I mean. Yeah. The Big Steel, big steel Company in Deer Park that, where they do a lot of welding and everything. I can't remember the name, but. Anyway, uh, so Sam, to avoid all of the hassle of 395, went through Springdale, went down uh, that way. And uh, in that fog, he fell asleep driving on his way to work early Friday morning, rolled his car. And uh, when we got the message, Tammy and I got a message, uh, the prognosis looked really bad for Sam. Uh, He was bleeding on the brain, uh, massive concussion, um, internal bleeding, Give me the give me the rundown. Too many, to Too many breaks to tell, and uh, yeah, fractured skull. He was bleeding internally. Anyway, so so as we're kind of gathering that information, putting it out on the prayer chain for for here, and like I said, I would guarantee probably nobody here knows him, but uh, you guys started praying, other churches started praying, their home church that they go to in Spokane, of course, was praying for him. And um, I hadn't really heard anything all day. Friday was kind of a real crazy day for us. And, and uh, like later that night into yesterday, and I talked to my sister yesterday morning who was down there all day, all night. Um, he's up. He's talking. He's walking. Um, he's remembering things. There's a few things he's a little fuzzy on, but I imagine if you smack your melon that hard, you're going to be a little fuzzy. And um, so praise the Lord, right? Amen. It's awesome. God does wonderful things. Uh, he's he spent a couple of days in ICU so far and it uh, and, uh, appears that he's going to make a great recovery. And uh, So just continue. His name is Sam. If you want to write his name down in the back of your bulletin. Uh, just continue to pray for him. His wife's name, my cousin's name is Michelle. And uh, like I said, they're new to the community. And uh, hopefully we will get an opportunity to, uh, to uh, <clears throat> see them more often. Okay, we've been uh, studying the uh, small epistle of 2 Timothy. We're on week three. Week Week one, we looked at this theme of boldness, where the Apostle Paul is encouraging his young protege, Timothy, his son in the faith, he calls him, to be bold, to be courageous. 25 times, I mentioned this last week, 25 times Paul specifically addresses Timothy on this topic. You need to toughen up, dude. You need to get with it. You need to be bold in your faith. You need to take charge. Uh, you, last week, we looked at the idea of faithfulness that we're called to be, and Timothy was called to be faithful to his calling, faithful to the ministry that God had for him there in the city of Ephesus in that first century. Today, as we, as we take the second half of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, we're going to look at this old-fashioned word that's not used too much anymore, although I will say this, parents, like this is often on, on your minds for your kids as you're teaching them. That old-fashioned word is called diligence. It's called diligence. We need to be diligent. And, and that's one of the admonitions that Paul has for Timothy is to be diligent. What does that mean? It means having or showing care and, and consciousness in one's work or duties. If you're conscientious towards what you're doing, you're going to be diligent. And Paul has, as he's been encouraging Timothy to be bold and to be faithful, now, as that spiritual parent, Paul is encouraging Timothy very specifically to be diligent. To be diligent. As any good parent, and a, a good encouragement starts with a reminder. Open your Bibles. We'll just jump right into it for the sake of time. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse... 14 is where we're going to start. Verse 14, 2 Timothy 2. So Paul tells him right off the get-go, remind them of these things. Remind them of these things. Now he's given Timothy this long list for now a chapter and a half. Uh, this long list of things that Timothy's to to, uh, to teach and to preach on and to lead in. In the city of Ephesus, after reminding Timothy of the essential points of the gospel, those, those are these, remind them of these things. After reminding Timothy of the essential points of the gospel, Paul added that Timothy must always remind his hearers of these things. Timothy's job as a pastor was to keep his congregation always focused on the gospel. Parents, we can all relate right how many times you i'll guarantee uh, I got tired of it i 'm sure parents you got tired of it of just constantly reminding uh, your kids of of what they need to do or 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 their attitude or whatever that 's part of parenting like i can I can look at somebody right now and say she probably got tired of reminding me right so if you got tired if you were tired of reminding your kids, hey, guess what there 's somebody up the chain from you. Get tired of reminding you. But we're all in this thing together, right? We all need reminders. We all need to be reminded. And 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 Paul takes Timothy, he takes him to a tighter focus right here. He takes him to a tighter focus and he says, Hey, listen, here's, here's the things that you need to remind them of. Right? Stay with the basics. Stay with the nuts and bolts of the faith. The church is constantly tempted to get its focus off of the message that really matters, the gospel. But this temptation must be resisted, and the church must, should constantly remember these things. Right? It's easy to get sidetracked into this thing or that thing or the latest fad or the latest trend or, or uh, who's saying what or whatever. Paul says to Timothy, stay focused. Stay focused. In these things, what are two of those reminders? Here they are. Here's two from the chapter two from last week. Second, the first one is Second Timothy two eight. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead, according to my my gospel. So he says, "Hey, this is all about Jesus," and then he links in all of the Old Testament into one phrase, right? Remember Jesus, the seed of David, that was the promise all the way down through. He links in all of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah in really just, uh, in a few words, the seed of David. And this is what he says about him. He was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. A lot of people claim to be the Messiah over all the centuries. He's the only one that's pulled it off. And the resurrection from the dead is the exclamation point on the end of it all that gives us great faith in who He is. The second reminder is the second Timothy two, eleven through thirteen, the old fashioned first century hymn that we talked about last week at the end of the service. And it says this, Paul tells Timothy, he says, For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful he cannot deny himself those are the basics see as Christ followers we're 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 dead we're dead to the old life we're dead to the old life that's the picture of baptism but then we also will live with him we're also raised up out of the water as a symbolic picture of us coming to new life so the old man's gone the old things are gone And here we go in a whole new relationship and a whole new perspective in Christ. So those are just a couple of reminders. And Really where Paul goes with this as he's teaching and explaining to Timothy, he kind of boils it down this way into two categories. He says, hey, Timothy, there's things that you should focus on. The gospel, the nuts and bolts of the faith. But there's also things that you should not focus on. There's things that you need to avoid. There's things that you need to flee from. There's things that you need to just uh, uh, confront. And so there's kind of these two lists, and we're going to kind of go through several of those things that, enc- that Paul encourages Timothy to not focus on. The first of that is found in fr- right here in the same verse, verse 14. So I'll reread it from the beginning. He says, Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers, Paul says. This is the first thing that, he, that he's really coming down on, that Paul's really coming down on, struggling over words, struggling over words. When we strive and argue over words in a conversation, uh, hey, we have to be aware of who's listening in, and is that conversation edifying to the person that's listening in, or is it not? And Paul says that this uh, uh, striving about words that are to no profit, that it can ruin people. It can run people off the rails in their faith. Here's a phrase for you. About the time that we think we're winning the argument, we lose the audience. Right? About the time that you think that you're getting somewhere, Uh, kind of, you know, getting the upper hand, getting the step up, and that that, that you look like you're the one with all the Bible knowledge, and the other guy's not, guess what? You've lost anybody else that might be around. There's a great quote here by theologian John Calvin says, let us, about this verse, he says, let us notice first that teaching is rightly condemned on the sole ground that it does no good. If what you're teaching, if what you're, if what you're coming across with, if your side of the argument is not making any headway, is not profitable, should be condemned. He said, goes on to say, God's purpose is not to pander to our inquisitiveness, but to give us profitable instruction. Away with all speculations that produce no edification. Pretty straightforward. Straight to the point, quote. And next, Paul encourages Timothy with a key verse that we really want to camp on today. So the first thing that he says to deny is the struggling over words. And rather than that, he says, rather than that struggle, here's something you can be really focused in on. Verse 15, be diligent, he tells Timothy, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Seventy-two years ago, Lance Latham and Art Rohrheim founded a children's ministry in the Chicago area with the vision that kids would gather weekly to study the Bible and to have fun in the process. Seventy-two years ago, they named that ministry after this verse. They named that ministry AWANA. So they get the acronym here, approved. Notice there's no S on the end, by the way. It's kind of an inside AWANA joke. They get this, this whole ministry is built around being improved workmen that are not ashamed. We need to take those same words of encouragement to heart. We need to take those same, uh, that same idea to heart today. It's not just for Timothy. It's not just for church, church leadership. This is for all of us. We all need to be diligent to present ourselves to God we all need to be unashamed of our faith. We all need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. These words of instruction and encouragement are desperately needed in the church today. We live in kind of a, a service-oriented society where, where and, and I'm, just as, I'm just as guilty of this as anybody, so I'm not preaching downhill at anybody. We live in this a service-oriented society where I want it all done for me. So I show up, I expect this, I expect that. And, and the same is true. That same mentality can creep into to your walk with the Lord. That you just want it all done for you. That you want it all just handed over to you. That's not the mentality as believers that the Bible says we're to have. We're to be diligent. That means you take ownership of, of your own Bible knowledge, your own Bible study, your spiritual Walk with the Lord. To take it serious, we need to do it for ourselves. And notice the second phrase: to present our, <clears throat> to uh, present ourselves approved of God. It's God that does the approving, not man. That's another area where I think over the years we've gotten it a lot backwards. We want to know if if we're okay with one another. We want to know, do I I look good to my peers? We want to know if we have one another's approval in what we're accomplishing, especially in ministry. That doesn't matter as much. Like that confirmation may come, for sure, but way higher than that, the overarching theme is, is God approving of what you're doing? Does God approve of of where you are, what you're putting your hand to in ministry? That's the question. That's the question we all have to ask ourselves because that's the approval that really matters the most. We need to be rightly dividing God's word. That is is that we know what it says and we know what it doesn't say. We know how it's to be understood and how it was not to be understood. I kind of have this, um, my personal thought, is I think the Bible can be easily understood by like a sixth or seventh grader. Now, maybe they don't get all the intricacies and uh, maybe a, a seventh grader couldn't bolt together, you know, all of these, you know, prophetical uh, passages and all that. But the, but the key components of the faith could be easily understood, you know, by somebody in fifth, sixth, seventh grade. I like this quote. I have actually three quotes in my sermon today, so hang with me. I think they're really important and really add to this passage or, or really bring out this passage this one is by Charles Spurgeon Spurgeon says about this passage in this verse he says swords are meant to cut and hack and to wound and to kill with and the word of truth is for pricking men in the heart and killing their sins the Word of God is not committed to God's ministers to amuse men with its glitter nor to charm them with the jewels in its hilt but to conquer their souls for Jesus. Like if we, if we can get that, that that's what the Word of God is to do. Like that's how we should handle the Word of God. Not to bludgeon somebody over the head with it, but the Word of God itself uh, in regard to non-believers and believers alike is to bore in and deal with heart issues. To bore in and deal with my heart issues. To bore in and deal with your heart issues. Not just the externals. Not just the, the, the externals. I, I, I'm, I, I like this uh, illustration. And that is, is that as parents, we can deal with the externals. But if we're going to parent and parent biblically, we need to parent like God parents us as his followers. And that is, is from the inside out. God always goes to the inside of us and deals with our heart issues that then affect the externals. We've told our kids for years, hey, I can, I can affect your environment. But sooner or later, you're not going to be in this environment. And when you're outside of this environment, the thing that's going to matter most to you is what you truly believe. Is what you truly believe about who God is and about what God says in His Word. So parent from the inside out. God parents from the inside out. The Word of God does the same thing. It affects us and it should affect us from the inside out. You don't have to clean yourself up in life to come in here. Come on in here. Let the Word of God affect you. But allow it to have that effect. To conquer the souls, for Jesus, Spurgeon says. Paul goes on to say in verse 16, Shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymeneus and Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the faith, saying that the resurrection is already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. That's the next three verses. This next uh, idea on our list of things that the Lord would have us to avoid is idle babblings. And it's really similar to this idea of struggling over words that we saw earlier. Idle babblings are kind of described destructively these three ways. They have a tendency to increase to more ungodliness. They spread like a cancer. And they produce a straying from the truth. When we just kind of a ramble, you know, this is an idle babble. It's just kind of this rambling on, rambling on, rambling on, false teaching. These babblings are profane, the word says. Not because they use bad language, but because they're unholy in contrast to the holiness of God's word. And they're idle because even though people like to hear them, they don't have any lasting value. Idle babblings. Paul uses this example of these two fellows Here, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And uh, what was going on there was uh, kind of maybe either one or both or a combination of the two. Is that they were teaching that they were already in God's millennial kingdom or that there was no resurrection to come. In other words, it already had occurred. And I wrote in my notes, I'm thinking as I'm writing my notes, I'm thinking, Great, we missed it. Right? You ever come home? We play this trick on our kids once in a while. We come home. I think it was Robbie and I and Tammy and the girls are gone. He's like, They were supposed to be here He was a little guy. They were supposed to be here. Where'd they go? I said, I don't know, maybe they were raptured and we missed it. (gasps) You know Made him kind of sit up straight for a minute. And it's the same kind of a thing here. Like, great, maybe we missed it. Just kidding. Like, we didn't miss it. They're in air. They're teach- not teaching according to what the Word says. And the problem with false teachers, the problem with not dividing the Word of God rightly. Is, is that there's always this drag down, there's always this vacuum that drops in with them, and anybody that kind of gets sucked into that vortex of, of idle babble, Paul calls it, gets kind of sucked in and sucked down with them. Planting seeds. They're planting seeds, that's right. They're planting seeds. And there's really one solution to navigating this uh, minefield of false teaching And it comes in the next verse where Paul says in verse 19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Like if you want to, if you want, if you don't get anything else from today, know this. Is there is there is a clear pathway, a clear pathway to avoiding false teaching today. And it's been the same from the beginning. It's the solid foundation of God's word. So if you're unsure. Get this baby out and wear it out. Right? Amen? Get this thing out on the table in the morning or in the evening or when you're having lunch. Be on the, the on the app on your phone, studying God's Word, listening to God's Word. I'll tell you one, and I, I'll say this all year long until we're probably done with it and then some. One of the best things I've ever done was this year we're doing the chronological read through the Bible. Kind of bolting it all the way through, beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation. It's amazing, it's amazing the things, as as I listen to it, because I do the audio part, as I listen to it, there's things that I know that I've read before, but they just pop back up. They give me a new thought, they give me a new idea. It's it's relevant today, different than it was the last time I read it, which was maybe 10, 15 years ago. There's some amazing things in there. I don't want to get sidetracked, I have a lot of thoughts on that right now. It would be easy to do that. But Paul says, Never, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. A quote. And another quote, Let us, everyone who names the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. He gives us a little example here in verse 20 of 2 Timothy 2. He says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, or set apart, and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Paul's given Timothy and us a lesson on rightly dividing God's word while dealing with this false teacher's. And these two quotes here uh, are not just something that he just pulls out of the sky. No, these two quotes come directly from a, uh, a really tense moment that the nation of Israel had uh, under Moses' leadership. And I mean tense because the, and I'm just going to read it for you because I think the, the word speaks well in us for himself. But these two quotes are drawn from the book of Numbers and the backstory there in the Numbers chapter 16 is a guy and 250 other men rose up to challenge Moses' leadership over Israel. They rose up. They were frustrated. They didn't like the direction things were going. You know, however it happened, they tried to call for a convention, you name it. And Korah and these other 250 men, they thought Moses and Aaron had kind of picked themselves for leadership like that they were somehow self-appointed rather than God-appointed. And they wanted to change that. They wanted to challenge that. So Moses replies to Korah in this back and forth, and I'm just going to read a verse here, and then we're going to read more of, out of number 16. Moses replies to this challenge this way. It says in number 16.5, And he spoke to Korah and all of his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy. That's that tie back to the Lord knows who are his in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. And Moses goes on to say, And <clears throat> so uh, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near to him, that one who he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. And uh, Korah's response, for the sake of time, I'll give you a little bit of a, of synopsis there. Korah's response was uh, he remained pretty hard-hearted and hard-headed about it. He was trying to force some change. He was trying to force something to happen. He kept pushing the people to rebel against Moses and ultimately they were really rebelling against God. And God's anger burned against the people. Pick it up in verse 20. Number 1620 says this. I'll read quite all the way through the passage and you guys can pick out the second quote out of Second Timothy from here. So here's, here's the response. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Separate yourselves from among the congregation that I may consume them in a moment. That's a bad day to be on that side of God. Right? It's a bad day. A bad day when the creator of the universe says that about you. Verse 22 says, Then they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you be angry with all the congregation? So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the congregation, saying, Get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram.'" Then Moses rose and went to uh, Dathan, excuse me, I didn't pronounce it right the last time, Dathan, Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him, and he spoke to the congregation, saying, Here's your quote. Depart now from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed in all their sins. So they got away from around the tents of Korah, Dathan, Abraham. And Dathan and Abraham came out and stood at the door of their tents with their wives, their sons, and their little children. And Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of my own will. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing, and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, then they go down alive into the pit. Then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Verse 31 says, Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, with their households, and all the men with Korah, with all their goods. So they and all those who went (coughs) uh, with them went down alive into the pit. The earth closed over them, and they perished from among the assembly. Then all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up also. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men. Who are offering incense? The people that the men who Korah had said, "Hey, let's let's see if we can kind of override this thing with Moses." Yeah, it don't work that way. It doesn't like like you, you're not going to thwart the purposes of God. The word says, and God had a purpose in what He was doing with Moses, and He wasn't going to stand for rebellion from them. And Paul's bringing up this whole story. He's bringing the whole story up in two quotes to remind Timothy. To remind Timothy, hey, God knows who, who, are, who are His. And, and anybody that, that claims to be His, they're marked in this way. They just get away from sin. They just flee from sin. They deal with sin. Right? They don't let it just linger around. They don't let it be contentious. They don't let it start to build a little momentum. Do you guys realize that? Like the little sins in our life. They don't just stay little. They build momentum. They get a little something going in our life. They start affecting one part of our life. They start affecting another part and another part over here and another part. Next thing you know, just like in number 16, we have a full-on rebellion of sin within us because we didn't deal with it when it was small enough to be dealt with. Then God's got to do something pretty extreme. I understand that. That's a part of how uh, God got a hold of me. He had to do something pretty extreme in my life to get my attention. Paul's using this example to show how easy it is to get entangled into false teaching, how important it is to know what God's Word says, how easy it is to get wrapped up in where other people are doing and other people's sins. He also uses this example to show us, as Christians, we must depart. We must depart, he says in Second Timothy, depart from iniquity. How do we do that? How do we, how, how do how do we do that? I think that's a question on a lot of people's minds. How, how do how do I how do I quit watching porn? How do I give up drinking? How do I like you know if I'm struggling smoking weed? How do I and, and I know that it's wrong and I'm convicted? How do I give that up? if it's something else, whatever it is. How do, I quit th- how do I quit giving these little white lies that I know are wrong, but I just can't help? How do we do that? I mean, you guys can fill in the blank in the areas of your life that you struggle with. I'll do the same. How is that accomplished? How do I get away from these sinful habits or a sinful lifestyle? How do I get my mind right in a culture that we're living in? that makes it really easy, really easy to soak up these things. So culturally acceptable today to do so many things that 5, 10, even 15 years ago, you'd be like, what? Real easy today. How do we get our minds right? How do we get our lives right? Well, lucky for all of us if you're asking yourself that question, the Apostle Paul dives right in with a bunch of answers that are applicable in this moment. These are things that we can go home with today and say, all right, I need to work on this. I need to work on that. I need to, I need to, uh, I need to be more diligent, like Paul tells Timothy, to be, to be heads up. Like when that temptation comes, I want to deal with it out there, not in close. Right? Right? first one that he talks about is in verse 22, so back to 2 Timothy 2.22, where the Apostle Paul says this, he says, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who are called, <clears throat> with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. How do we deal with sinful habits, sinful lifestyles? One is we have to change our thinking and our actions. We have to be repentant about it, seek forgiveness, and then we need to take some action. And the first action he talks us is just run from it. Like take off and run from it. Flee youthful lust. What are those? Uh, Sexual temptation, illicit pleasure of the flesh, longing for fame and glory, those are all things that kind of often mark a, a youthful mentality. But I want to say this. You cannot flee from youthful lusts. <clears throat> if you cannot flee from youthful lusts, there's really kind of a limit of how God can use you. There's kind of a, you, you. You put a cap, in a sense, over yourselves on your usefulness in the kingdom of God if you're not dealing with these things, if I'm not dealing with these things. There's a limit to how useful the mas- to the master that we can be. You can't really say yes to God until you can say no to some of these things. As a new believer in, at 19, like I, I, I remember going through this process very specifically. I just you know, at night, I was living by myself, and uh, <clears throat> if you can believe it, no TV. Kids are like, "What? You didn't have TV?" No high-speed internet? Uh, no internet. No cell phone. Just me and a radio. And I just kind of went through this. List. I, was, I kept saying night after night, Lord, show me the areas where, where I am out of step with you. Reveal to me this area. And, and, and I mean, there were some big ones that I knew I was needed to deal with for sure. And I dove in, and we're dealing with those for sure. But as I saw the Lord have victory over those areas and lead me out of those, I just, I just stayed on a roll, like, hey, right? Like If you got a, if you got a slider that strikes people out, why would you not just keep throwing your slider, right? You guys get it? You know what I'm talking about. So I just stayed in there. We have to run from youthful lusts. And we need to pursue right living, pursue righteousness. Like as Christ followers inside of each one of us, and sometimes we need to fan up this flame. Paul uses that type of language with Timothy also. Fan up, fan, fan up the flame, the gifts that, that you receive from God, he tells Timothy in other areas. And sometimes we need to fan up that flame of pursuing righteousness because life's kind of just wore us down. It's just kind of drug us down into the dust a little bit. And so we're not really pursuing righteousness. We're just trying to kind of hold on by our fingernails, you know, hoping that that we make it. We're, We're not called, brothers and sisters, we're not called to just hang on by our fingernails in the Christian life. God gives us the keys and the tools to live a victorious life in Him. And a biggest part of that is this phrase right here, pursuing righteousness. So get away from the lust. Run from that. Hey, while well, you've got a good pace going, turn the corner and just pursue righteousness, he says. Just bend it around and say, all right, I'm going to run after you, God. Whatever that takes, however that looks, whatever needs to go away in my life, whatever needs to be addressed, whatever needs to be dealt with, whatever needs to be repented of, I want to do all those things, and that's that pursuit of righteousness. It boils down to this, Right living. Right living. And it's a battle, I get it. It stinks at times, I understand that. We're all in this ship together. In fact, he even says that. Look at that phrase right here. Not in my notes, but I think it's important to think about. I'll read the whole verse to give us a little context. Flee also youthful lusts, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. Then the next phrase is often overlooked. Because if you get like me, you start writing to-do lists down. You start writing just bullet points, and you forget about the next phrase. The next phrase is the one that really is the most encouraging of the whole thing, in a sense. And he says this, he says, With those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Hey, guess what? You're not a lone ranger. I don't have to be a lone ranger. You don't have to hide out in shame and guilt in your faith, with, in the Lord trying to figure it all out. We're all to pursue this together as a team. Amen? Like, this is one of the reasons I love to coach football. Because if you can get 11 dudes to do the same thing, like working together, they're unstoppable. They're absolutely unstoppable. Try to get 11 teenagers to run a play. It's a challenge, trust me. We did it yesterday, right? But guess what? When they all do their job as a unit, when they all do their job as a unit, their success and Paul says to Timothy right here with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart if you're struggling with with uh if you're struggling with with not having fellowship Christian fellowship in your life find people that are here find people that meet this category find those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart Because if if you're calling on the Lord out of a pure heart, and somebody over here is calling on the Lord out of a pure heart, and you come together, there's power there. There's wisdom there. There's encouragement there. Right? There's going to be opportunities, and I know you guys are going to get real tired through the next three months of me talking about football. Just hang in there. Right? Because here's the reason why. There's times... In a football play, and I'm kind of an offense guy, where you need to have two of your guys on one of theirs for at least a minute or two. There's times in our Christian walk where you need a brother and you, or you need a sister in the Lord to come right alongside of you and say, Hey, I'll team up with you. I'll battle with you. I'll go against this thing, right? I'll be your brother. I'll be your sister. I got your back. We're a team. And Paul's building in this idea for Timothy because the church in Ephesus was all over the map in what they believed, all over the map in in, uh, Greek philosophy and and, and all that goes with all of that. They were all over the place. And so Paul's, i got to put my water down. Paul's telling Timothy, bring these people together. Battle together. Work together. Lean on one another. Lean on one another. Do it together. We're going to battle sin together. And we're going to pursue righteousness together. And we're going to pursue the next thing, faith, together. And we're going to pursue love together. And we're going to pursue peace together. We're going to pursue peace together. Cleansing can never be a matter of just avoiding the bad things. It must also be the pursuit of the good things. Therefore... There are both things that we must flee from and things that we must pursue. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. I'm going to encourage us to tackle this thing and to keep pursuing this thing of peace. And here's the reason why our culture says it's totally okay for people to just battle it out. Now, it used to be that just way, way uh, you know, uh, on the evening news, right, where you'd just have, or, or in a big debate in an auditorium. But in the last several years, that battle has turned to the backyard fence. It's turned to the grocery store aisle. It's turned to the gas station pump. And, 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 and people in the same communities now are just at each other's throats. It's, it's horrendous. It's sad. I don't know how else to describe it. Pursue peace. Hey, as much as it depends on you, Paul tells the Romans, live peaceably with all men. Something for us to pursue. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith. What does it mean to pursue faith? Here's what it means. Is that... When you're walking and living by faith, you're trusting that despite the circumstances, God has an awesome plan ahead. That's what, that's what we're praying for for Sam this last couple of days despite the odds, despite what the doctors say may happen, despite how horrible the news it might be, we're trusting in faith that regardless of what happens, God has a good plan. And we're going to believe God for that good plan, even if it doesn't come out the right way that we think on this side of eternity that God has a good plan for Sam in the long run of eternity. And if it turns out right, like it has so far, praise the Lord even more, right? That's That's what pursuing faith is. And we need to be encouraging one another more and more as days go on. Hey, bro, walk by faith. Trust God. Don't get impatient. Don't get impatient. Trust God in this thing. Hey, sister, just keep walking by faith. Keep walking by Keep your eyes on the Lord. Don't look at your circumstances so much. Keep your eyes on the Lord. We need to be doing that with one another more and more. That's why I love before the service and after the service, because those are the conversations that are happening in this room. That's what pursuing faith is. We need to encourage one another to do more and more of that. It's easy sometimes to come to talk about work, to talk about the weather, talk about the Mariners. Nobody likes talking about the Seahawks anymore. I get it. It's easy to come here and to socialize that way. I'm encouraging us. I'm really putting it out there. In this moment, when you link up with people shaking hands, talking about things, get into these topics. How are you doing? How's your walk? You know, How can I pray for you today? All those types of questions are awesome. They ignite things within us as a group that will enhance this idea that we're doing it together that we're doing it together. This isn't just a, a collection of a bunch of just individuals that just come for here for a couple hours on a Sunday morning because we don't have anything better to do, so we might as well come here, you know, and then, then we just depart and there's no connections, you know, Sunday afternoon through Saturday night. No, there needs to be thousands of connections, even in a, even in a group this size. We need to be connected. Our walks are connected. Our faith is connected. We all serve the same Lord. If you're a Christ follower, if you're one that calls on the Lord out of a pure heart, there's a connection there already. Utilize that connection. Let's do it together. Let's build it together. A third thing that um, Paul encourages Timothy not on the list to pursue, but to avoid. He says in verse 23, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Strife is essentially the precursor to disunity. So a lot of times, disunity, division in the body comes simply through conversations that don't need to happen through arguments that don't need to happen they're not necessary paul says he says they're foolish and ignorant disputes <coughs> now while we're on that topic there's a temptation there's a temptation for us for some some people let's just start with this Let's just start with this uh, foundational truth. Some people hate to argue; they won't argue over anything, zero. So the the first time that a couple voices get a little heated and and there's you know squaring off shoulders and we're kind of going nose and and you know who you know if you're in that category where you don't like confrontation and you're just like. You're the person that's like the minute to do. so, And it can be Josh and I because we've gone head to head a few times. And we're both pretty confident fellas. So uh, And, and we, can, we can disagree on some things. But, n- but our relationship bridge is strong enough that we know that we can handle that. What we have to be careful with is the first thing. We need to be careful if it's him and I. We need to be careful of who might be listening that might run their faith off the rails. But now if it's just this thing, if it's just this thing, foolish and ignorant, you know, a uh, disputes. If we're arguing over something that's stupid, let's put it that way. Can I use "stupid" in church? Is that okay? Nobody's going to fall off their chair. <coughs> if we're doing that, and 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 you're the person the kind of person that doesn't like conflict, you know what you're going to do? You're looking at all the red signs. How do I get out of this place? Where's the exit? Right, but you might be the other kind of person on the other end of the spectrum that loves to lock horns with somebody, because for you, you know, that's just good sword fight and practice. And so you're like, well, I've been looking for, I've been itching, you know, and and let's be frank, can we be frank? Josh and I are kind of that way sometimes. So there's times where he'll come to me, I'm kind of itching for an argument. He wants to, you know, he wants to know if his his biblical sword is sharp. And so sometimes, we, you know, and so you might be attracted to that type of, you might have that type of personality that loves to mix it up a little bit. Neither one's necessarily wrong. They're just different. Here's where we have to be careful. Because even (laughs) good-hearted disputes, if I can use that phrase, they can, the enemy can use those to create a crack. The, The enemy can use foolish and ignorant disputes to, to just start the smallest of division. I've seen it. Uh, to my shame, I've been a part of it. I understand it. And I will say, I'm on guard against it as much as I can be. Now, but that doesn't mean that I'm not tempted to lock horns too at times. But we need to be really careful as Christ followers that we don't engage in that and, and allow the enemy to cause disunity, to cause a fissure in the body. So he says, avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but here's the thing to pursue. But be gentle to gentle to All. Gentle to all. John Calvin says Paul's meaning is that gentleness should be shown even to those who least deserve it. And even if at first there's no apparent hope of progress, still the challenge must be accepted. We need to learn to be if, if you're... Maybe the, maybe the person on one side of the spectrum that's non-confrontational, sometimes you need to just man up a little bit, Right? You need to know when it's the right time to engage. But if you're if you're prone to be an arguer, if you're fr- prone to to lock it up, you need to really be cognizant of where you need to be gentle in that. Where you need to be gentle in that thing. Oftentimes, it's the temptation comes that uh, the temptation point of it comes from the enemy is to. Lock it up to kind of do some harm. To, 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 to lock it up with somebody and to not be gentle with somebody that, that, that you don't think deserves it. That's what Calvin's getting to. It doesn't matter if they deserve it or not. We need to be gentle. Then apt to teach, patient, and humble in the correction of those in opposition. If God, prevent, <clears throat> if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. Now, there's a, Paul writes this in a sense that we're dealing with people that are clearly have kind of ran off the rails, people that are either knowingly or unknowingly denying the truth uh, that need to repent from wherever they're at, whatever situation they're in, and they're kind of refusing to do so There needs to be a sense of gentleness, for sure. And he says, If perhaps uh, God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captivity by him to do his will. There's a bigger end game. even if you're locked into a dispute, that the other person's future is at stake. That's kind of the essence of what Paul's saying even if they're in error, even if they don't care what you're saying, even if they're denying what you're saying, even if they're trying to to, to just kind of keep coming back, you have to approach it with a sense of of understanding that their eternity is at stake in a way. Their repentance is what's really needed. Now, how do we really discern that? We discern that by doing life together because we've all should or will at some point be on that side of the equation right there's like I can remember real clearly a a situation in Tammy when Tammy and I were first married the girls were young Robbie wasn't even here but uh, wasn't born here (laughs) I say it like you came from a different planet (laughs) we probably should have told you before now There's a situation that kind of arose in our marriage that, uh, that I needed to be challenged on. That I needed to, somebody to step in and gently but firmly pull me aside and say, Hey, you need to address this. You need to get a handle on this. Like the end game for where things are going for you guys is not healthy. It's not good. And, and they're, they're, they're putting the finger on my chest. So I was the one, I was the one that needed granted towards repentance. I was the one that needed to get humble. I was the one that needed to, to come before the Lord and my wife and whoever else and say, you know what, you're right. I was the one on the wrong side of this thing. And the turnaround needed to start with me. Before it would start with her, it needed to start with me. I need to take responsibility in our marriage and deal with some things. So, how do we do that with other people? Uh, it's through a kind of experiencing it yourself in a way. Who knows? You might just uh, be used in somebody else's life to help turn them around. That's kind of God's goal and the thing is that he uses you and I to help you and I, right? He uses you and I to help other people inside and outside of the faith to make the 180 turn. We often don't make this 180 turn that's needed. The Bible uses the word repentance. We often don't make that just an epiphany doesn't fall out of the sky, right? Now, if the ground would open up like it did for Korah, and we were standing there watching it, I'm guessing what? There would be every one of us in here. Man, we'd be rolling off. We would on our knees repenting every sin possible because if God did that today, we'd we'd stand up and pay attention just like they did for sure. Things don't happen that way so much right now. Future days, different story. In the meantime, God uses one another to help one another move forward in their faith. Be that brother and sister in the Lord. If the worship team wants to come on up. Be that brother and sister in the Lord that's, that's pursuing the right things. That's pursuing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. Be that brother and sister in the Lord that is, that is pursuing peace, pursuing faith, pursuing love. Be that brother and the sister in the Lord that can have hard conversations, but do it gently. Those are all learned skills. And you don't learn, you don't, you don't just get the package, open it up and go. Those are learned skills. But we have to be in the faith, we have to be exercising, and guess what, you're going to make some mistakes in the process. I know I have. Sometimes I still do. You're not going to do it right every time. That's where you're humble. <laughs> right? But be the brother and the sister that God can use to advance his kingdom, to, ad- to grow his kingdom, to grow his body. Would you stand as we close with a worship song?